Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com code program. I am a feminist, but I saw some comedians on Facebook saying they were having to change their names to pseudonyms on Facebook to avoid creepy messages from guys who'd seen them perform and written them lascivious messages. And I thought, why doesn't that happen to me? <laughs> I'm a feminist, but my favourite type of apples are called Pink Lady. <laughs> Some of mine are quite short. <laughs> Every time I buy one, I you feel think, guilty. Oh, you feel... <laughs> yeah. I'm I a did, oh, Why couldn't I prefer a, a really androgynous Braben? Well, actually... <laughs> actually, are, are they all stereotypes? Because there's also Granny Smiths, which is a bit patronising as well, yeah. isn't it? Granny Smith. Is there one called a Jonathan Delicious? Is that just me? Have I made Gold, that up? Golden. There's a gold... Is it Golden Delicious? It's not yeah. a Jonathan... <laughs> I've made that up. I felt like there was like, maybe that was a guy I dated in high school. That's a joke. I didn't date anyone in high school. Um, I'm a feminist, but I considered changing my Facebook name to a pseudonym so people would assume I was having problems receiving lascivious messages from guys who'd seen me on stage. If you are a guy, don't send me lascivious messages because you think I want them now. I mean, do, maybe just one or two. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but um, I've noticed that sometimes when I'm trying to be liked, I make my voice a bit higher. Oh. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I'm currently growing my eyelashes and then now actually hitting the back of my glasses when I blink. <laughs> I am I'm growing my eyelashes. Can you see? Can you see how, how long they are? I'm growing them. You think, do you think I'm making this up? I'm growing my eyelashes. How do you. There's a serum. There's a serum. So they did before you trim them. 
trim them? No, no. <laughs> I had regular size eyelashes before. And then my sister in New Zealand gave me this uh, potion. What the fuck? Called Flash. No, it's true. Called Flash Eyelash Serum. Now, it's quite expensive. I say my sister gave it to me. She took me to the very expensive makeup counter and told me what to buy. And I bought it. It's Flash Eyelash Serum. And you put it on every night. And a friend of my sister, she was getting married, so she was doing it for her wedding. But she did it up too high, and eyelashes started growing out of the middle of her eyelids. I know. So she, she, she cut back. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I found the book uh, Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel too difficult. (laughs) I didn't really find the book Wolf Hall too difficult, uh, but I was prepared to say that I did to get a laugh. from King's Place in London. Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis-White and Jessica foster And tonight's special guest, Zoe Lyons, talking about stereotypes. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. So tonight we are talking about stereotypes. Yes. And stereotypes is something that I think we all live with all the time. We are all stereotyped. And we all stereotype others with our horrible, unconscious bias. But also I think there's... um, From what I've read about it, it looks like it's part of human nature to look for patterns, to quell our fear of the enormity... So are you saying it's we are biologically behavior. designed to be bigoted? It looks like it from what I've read. Okay. Oh, yeah. well, let's relax. Let's relax in. Let's chill out. Let's, let's chill into our stereotypes in that case. What was your challenge? I wanted to look at how much stereotyping I do, and I wanted to be honest with myself. So I took a five-day patch, and every time I met someone new, and by met I mean encountered... I just had a look at, after the fact, whether I made any generalisations about them, and then if I did, I had to think about why I felt the need to do that. (laughs) And um, (laughs) in quite sort of positive news, I think that my day-to-day life, I am pretty good. And when I'm just using shop or just out and about or whatever, I think that I pretty much do take people at face value and don't do much stereotyping, except when I'm driving my car. (laughs) (laughs) And then (laughs) I am a disgusting human being. (laughs) I am an ageist, classist, BMWist, Yarrisist, white vanist, cyclistist, teenagerist, nasty, angry fuck. (laughs) I am am not a... I'm very, very rageful in that space. I'm very short-tempered. And so, however considerate and progressive my... Conscious self is mm. my in my root at my core in mm. my amygdala. I am Brexit. <gasps> wow! And I am ashamed. That's a that's a that's a serious fucking confessional there. You are the living embodiment of Brexit when behind a yeah. wheel. I am. No, I, I, I do understand what you mean. And I think it's because when you're driving, there's an anxiety, there's a fight or flight, because you actually yeah. could kill someone or be killed. So perhaps you're... you're I you're... think that justifies it a bit too much. Like, I think that it was put to me very well that the car is a, an extension of your personal space, and I agree that you are in this situation where there's this jeopardy but not really driving around London. No, Most of my rage is because someone wasn't polite enough. Because no. <laughs> they don't let you insane. out or they cut in front of you. Don't or... say thanks or you're welcome. <laughs> if I say... If because I everyone some, stops if, to say even thanks. Even if someone stopped to let me pass and I say thanks and they don't say you're welcome, <laughs> I put the window down and go, you're welcome! <laughs> Honda Jazz. (laughs) Of course you are in a Honda Jazz. So what are your secret stereotyping behaviours that have you discovered? What do you think about cyclists? What do you prejudge cyclists as like? Um, Morally superior. Um, (laughs) 
any cyclists in. Just go, yeah? Uh, just cheer if you're morally superior. No, correct. They are. They are. So they've lived up. Yeah, that's fine. So that's fine. Teenagers, what do you think about teenagers? Arrogant, don't care if they die. They don't seem to care if they die enough. They just stand in the road if they It's always with their with mates. Okay, do you, and I'm going to, I'm going to put this out in this very tentative way, do you have any bias confirmations around women drivers? Um, the room holds its breath. Yeah, yeah. I don't think, as a rule, that women with children in the car let enough people out of junctions. All right. <laughs> Do we have any women in? <laughs> uh, any women with children? Just cheer. Okay. Are you less likely to let somebody else out because you think, fuck it, I've got a baby on board? Yeah. 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 <laughs> All of your You've prejudices changed. are actually accurate facts. Oh, really? Yeah, I think they're accurate That's facts. Successful stereotypes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. So, ladies and gentlemen, Jess Foster Q. Hello. Um, so, in a quite a sort of desperate last-ditch attempt to keep the art of handwriting alive, um, I because <laughs> it's on the way out, isn't it? It's got to be. Um, I, I try too hard, um, and I do it regularly. I regularly write cards and letters, um, and, I, and I probably go a bit overboard if I'm honest when I'm doing that. Uh, it was recently a friend's thirtieth, and I, I wrote in her card. And when I say go for it, I mean I really go for it. I'm sort of. I'm hyperbolic, you know, I'm pleonastic, I'm sort of periphrastic, you know, grandiloquent, quite sort of verbose, you know, wordy. And, um, <laughs> and I went for it. It probably, it was something like, oh, uh, Sam, you should be so proud of everything you've already achieved, what an incredible amount you've done with your life, and you've got so much to look forward to. Everything in the last few years has astounded me. Also, I just want to thank you for being such an incredible friend. I don't know what I'd do without you in my life. I love you to bits. I love you to pieces. Jess, kiss, kiss, kiss. And then I gave it to my partner, Mikey, to write in. And he wrote, Mikey. And then above it, he wrote, I just like you as a friend. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, I love that story because it's funny, but I hate telling it as a stand-up because what it does is something that is so boring now in stand-up. It just reinforces gender stereotypes. So it, again, doesn't it? It just gives you an example of like yet another situation where the woman is really like expressive and effusive and the man is like an emotional lobotomy. And, um, and that's not fair. Apart from in card writing, Mikey and I don't, I would say, conform to many of our gender stereotypes at all in our relationship. I like drinking pints. He likes small, sweet, fruity drinks. Um, he likes shopping. I take the bins out. He regularly bollocks me because I don't listen enough. Um, I think that's what he said. Um, and, um, when we fight, he is the one that stays really sort of calm and then eventually gets a little bit passive-aggressive but carefully stores up everything I'm saying in an internal file of facts due to precision accuracy in future arguments. And I lose my shit and smash up something in the house. Um, I'm the one that likes going out, beveraging heavily until two, three in the morning. He's genuinely at home now, putting the baby to bed. <laughs> and then I'm probably having a bath and watching a box set. Um, the best example, I think, is probably um, our jobs. Uh, well, he's got quite a sort of low-paid, low-visibility administrative job because his dad never really made him feel like he was proud of him. Um, and um, don't make that noise at me. Do it at his dad. Um, and, and I've got this traditionally very sort of alpha extrovert job because my dad told me he wasn't proud of me um, um, and just quickly I uh, so uh, when I've been thinking about stereotypes I've been thinking about uh, ones perhaps negative ones which I maybe ha- am or have become recently and um, yummy mummy is one that comes to mind and it's it's fascinating to look into I don't really know if I am one I've done a bit of research it, it, according to the dictionary and yes it is in it um, it is any um, attractive, young, wealthy mother. And I am not wealthy, um, haters, no. I am. I must be because I can afford my rent in London just. So I suppose that technically um, I I am. But uh, 
it's just fascinated me, the dichotomy. The bottom half of the internet and the media hate these yummy mummies. They really vilify them. And are they perhaps just assertive women, in a sense? On one hand, I think I probably am one, and then on others, I think I'm not. I don't drive a four-by-four, but I have called my son Rudyard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I... I've sent my kid to a nursery, uh, just the cheapest one we could find, where the staff there genuinely didn't know that there was sugar in jam. Um, But I do buy organic milk. Um, I'm fundamentally against private education. I'd say that I'm a considerate pavement user. Um, uh, All I really want for my kid is that he grows up to be fair and kind and healthy. But on the other hand, I do just casually in conversation sometimes use the terms tummy time. I know. Um, I am continuing to breastfeed my kid after the age of one, and I will do that when and where we want to. Um, <laughs> oh, thanks, you three. <laughs> thanks, you three. There's only three in. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, OK, if I think about it, probably I should identify as a yummy mummy, but I refuse to because I don't like the term. I don't like, unless the term has an origin in some new fantastic scientific fact that has found out that previously to having a baby that women taste of paracetamol and then when they have one, they suddenly taste of hummus or chocolate. That would be the only way or origin of this term that would be acceptable to me. Other than that, no, I don't like the term yummy mummy. I'm not ready to uh, self-identify as that. I just think it's yet another label for women that manages to somehow be both sexualized and infantilizing us at once. <clears throat> um, uh, instead, I prefer to self-identify as a half-posh, half-scum, idealistic co-parent. <laughs> got some questions. Cool. I ran back. What is tummy time? Oh, um, so I love the idea of like how cave women wouldn't have given a fuck about this. But um, (laughs) when your baby is tiny, you are now under pressure to put it on its tummy. Why? So that it ever learns to crawl. But we all learn to crawl. Yeah, but most of us were put to sleep on our front. And now the rules are put to sleep on your back. Oh. And we're... uh, Babies are learning to crawl much later because they're oh. never on their fronts. So you have to do a little bit of tummy time every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh. I know. Well, that's hey. enough to put everyone here off having a baby who doesn't already yeah. have one. <laughs> and the other thing oh. is, I know your baby. Yeah. And I know him as Rudy. Is he yeah. really called <laughs> Rudyard? Yeah. <laughs> yes! A human person. <laughs> He's called Roger Black Kipling. No, not after Kipling, just like the name. People are going to think it's Kipling. This whole episode episode is not about stereotypes, it's now about the name Rudyard. Um, I want to know about your challenge. Okay, so my challenge was I was talking to a friend and she was telling me about somebody she was working with who was pigeonholed as a difficult woman and therefore stopped getting jobs. She was freelance. And she felt that what she was doing was being as outspoken and as unyielding as her male colleagues. And I thought, you know what, I avoid that all the time. I know that my desire to be nice and seem reasonable is paramount. And in fact, uh, somebody I'm working with on a project at the moment, there's somebody else involved who's demanding something that's unreasonable, and she's just saying, absolutely not. And they said, well, I'm sure we can find a compromise. And I'm going, okay, yes, we'll find a compromise. She's like, why would we compromise? We don't need to compromise. They've no way to make us compromise, and they're, they're asking for something unfair. And I'm like, yeah, but they've said the word compromise. <laughs> so we, yeah. we need to do that now. And she's like, what? but why? They've come along and asked for an unfair thing. They don't have the cards. We've got the cards. So we're not giving them half our cards because they've said the word compromise. And I'm like, but they've said the word compromise. <laughs> um, so I noticed that, and I think I don't want to be the difficult woman because I think you do get a different response from men who are, oh, he doesn't take any prisoners. She's a bitch, right? <laughs> so the other day I was doing a comedy gig, and I thought the next time I see an opportunity to be a difficult woman, where I think it is reasonable to be a difficult woman, and I'm not doing it to be mean, I'm going to accept the mantle of difficult woman and stand up for what's right. So I, uh, <laughs> I went to a comedy gig and the compare of the gig did a, I was the first act on and he did a whole thing about, uh, he's, he was saying to women in the audience, 
do you need to buy any furniture? I can show you where you can buy some nice furniture. Now, does anyone understand this reference? the compare of the gig. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, Not yeah. just a furniture salesman that's... Oh, no. No. He was saying it cool. because... Uh, does anyone understand this reference? Do you know who it is to reference to? It's a reference to Donald Trump, who uh, in, on that tape said, I kept telling her I knew where to buy furniture. Oh. OK, okay. so... Um, and then um, he said, the thing is, the thing is, people are going on about Trump. Yeah, 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 and I'm sure he's not a nice guy, whatever. But it is just what men say. That is just how men talk. And he said... And he said... Uh, <laughs> you, Good noise. Someone let some bees off. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. He said, uh, you see something you want... You, you see something beautiful and you just go for it. And he kept saying something. And then he did a long apology for Trump and then he went, and now Deborah Francis White. <laughs> so I came out to the stage and normally I'd just be like, oh, ha, 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 and do my set. And I just thought, fuck this. It's his gig. He's booked me for the gig. He's paying me to be here. But I'm sorry, I'm going to have to risk being the stereotype of the difficult woman. So I just came out and I went... It's always interesting, isn't it, when the compare refers to a woman as something and then says, and now Deborah Francis White. Like he's introducing a standard lamp. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I'm not thin enough to be a standard lamp. A slimline dishwasher. <laughs> and the audience loved it. And I went through, and I, you could see his kind of face, that he was like, oh, oh. And I said, no, no, my whole set is going to be a deconstruction of everything you've just said. <laughs> I relentlessly ad-libbed a takedown of every point he'd made Stunning. for 20 minutes and then said, thank you very much, and left. And the audience really went for it. And a few of them came up to me in the interval and were like, oh, I've never heard anyone take him on before. I've come into this club for years. Like and he has training. all of these comedians on and blah, 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 really good comedians. Well, the thing is, I shouldn't really do his gigs, but they are very local to me. <laughs> distance though Jez and, and I, you understand that the it's like well, if I was going to never work for a, a really brilliant brilliant yeah if you were never going to work, work for a sexist, sexist comedy booking. promoter just doing really, that one gig there yeah. um, it's yeah. really tricky like if you're going to not work for any club where they sexism you're not going to work anywhere where they're going to say and now uh, we've got a, we've got a woman one next but she's all right she's funny I've already heard her don't worry that is just a normal introduction to a female comedian isn't yeah, it and even the fact female to, comedian all the single ladies or my milkshake being the best if they bring you on to like and it's a woman song yeah absolutely like, it's, um, but it, that's, but even then, it's really hard to go like, oh, they, they brought on the woman to the woman song, like, and you know, and then even if the audience get it, then you you do you're running the risk yeah. of them going. So, well, do you know what? I won't book her again. Absolutely. There's loads of funny people I could be booking. If she's going to be difficult, maybe I won't book her again. Mm. And you have to go, okay, then don't. So we'll I make a place where this will stop happening. Exactly. We exactly. Well, we have made such a place. It's here. Um, <laughs> But I was thinking, oh, God, what's he going to say? And he came up and he went, oh, you were so funny. And he paid me and said, you were just so fantastic. And I was like, I, I just thought, is he not going to say anything? Is he not going to say anything? I thought, oh, he's going to have a go at me and say, this is my club, that was really rude. But in fact, he just said, that was absolutely brilliant. And then the next day he rang me up and said, do you want to do this corporate gig? It's 500 quid. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to be a difficult fucking woman more often. <laughs> yeah, you say, yeah, for 600 quid. And if you introduce me with that same shit. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis White. So, uh, this uh, story that I'm going to tell you, I believe, either plays into or directly contravenes every stereotype it deals with. So, firstly, I was a nanny. Now, when I tell you this, uh, what you need to take into account is that I was on my gap year, so I was quite young, and the children were already proper children. They weren't babies. So I need you to take that into account when I tell you that one of the people I nannied for recently got married. <laughs> I don't want you to stereotype me age-wise, is what I'm saying. So Emma got married, and because I am her nanny, and I'm still her nanny, effectively, I was asked to organise her hen night. Now... 
I've organised a lot of parties for Emma in the past, but most of them were more jelly and past the parcel themed. <laughs> this was the first one which had adult content. But she said to me, no, I, you're, you just really know me, please organise my hen night. So I decided that the theme should be all of the movies and television shows that she had loved as she was growing up that had romantic themes. So we did the dance from Dirty Dancing, we had a dance instructor, we all lifted her up. We made a trailer of Titanic Earth with her fiancé playing the Leonardo DiCaprio part. But what I decided that this day would not be okay without was her biggest ever pin-up crush. And that was the Colin Firth Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice, now dating her era very, very accurately. Um, so I decided that as this day wore on and we'd go into the next theme and the next theme, we would all put on bonnets and sort of Jane Austen dresses. And we'd be standing around having cups of tea, making Austen-like pleasant conversation. And at that point... Mr. Darcy would come through the door, have some interaction, and then turn into, and this is where it's good, a Mr. Darcy stripper. <laughs> because I know what I'm doing, guys. And I can nanny for the over-21s. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever tried to hire a Mr. Darcy stripper. Not easy. Not easy, gang. I'll be honest with you. Harder than anyone would think. So the first thing I did was I... I rang around just stripping companies. Uh, you can find them on Google. And I, and I rang up and I'd say, oh, hello, you, 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 you hire strippers out. Yes, 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 you do strippers, strippers, strippers. And, uh, and well, I, I've never hired a stripper before. I've never done this before. Oh, organising a hen night. Oh, gosh, organising a hen night. Is there any chance that you could send a stripper to this hen night dressed as Mr. Darcy? Now, this got some very odd reactions. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, we've got a Kevin. Uh... <laughs> We're, we've, we've got a, a Sajeev, uh, we don't have a Darcy. Right, no, no, Mr. Darcy is a character. So um, I, I rang around, nobody knew, no one seemed very interested. And then finally I made this call, and a man answered the phone, and he went, <sighs> Hello, dream men. And I said, oh, gosh, OK, uh, I've got what I believe is a rather unusual request. I was wondering if you would have such a thing as a Mr. Darcy stripper. And he went, oh, the Darcy request. It always causes trouble. And I went, oh, so you've had this before? He said, oh, yeah, back in the 90s. That's all we ever got every other weekend. Mr. Darcy here, Mr. Darcy there. Then there was a brief revival during the Kira Knightley era. But we haven't had anything since then. I said, why does it always cause trouble? He said, well, it's very difficult for them to get out of the breaches in a sexy fashion. <laughs> they have to get them specially made. He said, I can ask around for you, but I wouldn't hold out any hope. And you know what? You can book someone from another agency and they'll tell you they're sending you Mr. Darcy, but on the night, they'll send you a black man in a fireman's uniform and there'll be nothing you can do. <laughs> didn't really think it was the time to get into a long conversation about uh, racially blind casting um, and the importance of intersectionality in all forms of performance art including stripping. Anyway so I said thank you very much and I thought right this has to happen, this has to happen, how am I going to make it happen and I remembered that I knew a young man who lived up north who'd been a performer when he was younger but had a regular job, uh, he was gay so I thought that seemed sort of slightly less exploitative to pay him to strip for women. Does that make sense to you? Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. And I knew he does brilliant dancers, and so I phoned him and said, would you like to do this? And he said, oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I'll pay you well. He said, yeah, I'll come down for the weekend. It'll be great. I'll see all my London mates. He said, it'll be really fun for me to design a dance routine. And we decided when he ripped the breeches off, which he was having specially made, um, underneath would be long johns of the same length. <laughs> So the gag would be, you never saw any more. So, uh, so on the night, we're standing around in bonnets with cups of tea, saying, oh, terribly inclement weather, with fans, um, in a drawing room. And in through the door comes Dan. I'm using his real name because I tweeted him and said, is it all right to use your real name? And he never got back to me. <laughs> so Dan comes through the door in breeches, riding boots, and a white frilly shirt that is wet, stuck to his body, as if he has just climbed out of a lake. <laughs> he is handsome, and he has black, floppy curls coming down his forehead. The noise that the young women <laughs> in that room made, who were not expecting this, was nothing I'd heard come out of human mouths before. 
one young woman next to me actually went, it's happened. <laughs> he came in and he played the full scene with Emma that is in the actual television show of Darcy bumping into Elizabeth Bennet out of the lake. We had cue cards so she knew her lines. <laughs> and then eventually he said, uh, I hear, Miss Bennet, that you have taken a turn around the pump room with Mr. Jagger. And she said, oh, I, I, I know nothing of this. And he said, no, I understand Mr. Jagger is a wonderful dancer, but I have something to tell you. And then Moves Like Jagger came on the stereo. <laughs> he did the most incredible dance and the most seductive strip that I have ever seen and the women in the room were just like hysterical and it was just so incredibly wonderful and he was just brilliant and beautiful and it was perfect and then at the end he hung around for some drinks it was sweet and uh, Emma said um, oh you're just wonderful so you're, you're an actor one of, one of Deborah's actors friends he said no 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 she said how do you know Deborah and he went oh she used to babysit for me <laughs> And I was like, oh, fuck. I think I've just hired one person I used to nanny for to strip for another person I used to nanny for. I can never nanny again. I do not conform to that stereotype anymore. Thank you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ladies and gentlemen, would you like to meet our wonderful guest? She is one of the most extraordinary comedians working in the United Kingdom today. Put your hands together and make general woohooing noises for Zoe Lyons! Have any stereotypes that you feel are invested upon you, Zoe? Well, I think when I first started out doing stand-up, which was, what, 14 years ago? 40, yeah, about 14 years. I was always referred to as Zoe Lyons, the lesbian comedian. That was what people... Inter- that's how, you know, you well, were like... parties, people... Well, just, yeah, Zoe yeah. Lyons, lesbian, lesbian comedian. Yeah, my mum, this is Zoe Lyons, she's... <laughs> There's been comedian and my daughter. Um, yes, I, I remember doing something on the radio once. And the, 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 um, the presenter kept referring to me as uh, we're, we're joined today by Zoe Lyons, who's the lesbian comedian. I was like, I'm pretty sure there's more than one of us. And, That's amazing. And the, it was odd for me because, uh, yeah, I'm gay. It would be weird if I wasn't gay. That would be so. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not a lesbian. I'm I'm just, I don't know where no, you've I've just, I've just got short hair. No, so I'm sorry. Yeah. Misunderstood. But I didn't really talk about it a lot on stage so it wasn't like I was just coming out and going yeah. yay lesbian you know um, <laughs> so yeah and then of course then once people got over that then you'll always be Zoe Lyons the female comedian that's the mm. next thing that's we're all sort of called the female comedian you know from the genre the genre fe- yeah like we all live together somewhere in a farm <laughs> in Buckinghamshire just wearing floral print and skipping about <laughs> and the idea as well the idea that female comedians would be less competitive with each other that insults me. You know, it's great to be uh, supportive and to talk to each other, but let's not forget we're in it to win it as well in life. Do you know what I mean? And that idea that, you know, oh, no, they're all just sisterly and they just hold hands and skip. No, no, no. 
I will take you down, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Having said that, I have a comedy panel show podcast that's called Global Pillage. there's four listeners in. Uh, and it's, it, was, it came out of a Guilty Feminist challenge. And I find, because my one rule is I never book more men than women. I try and book a man for diversity, but it doesn't always work out. No. And, um, and I do find it is a different atmosphere from mm. doing panel shows that where you're the one token woman. Yes. Do you think there is something to be said for the nature of female humans being less competitive and more collaborative at some points? Or yes. do you think no? Yeah, I mean, my experience of this is I do Mock the Week reasonably sort of frequently. They have never, ever booked more than one woman per show. You're just mm. only Been ever... openly quite yeah. angry about yeah. having There's to have only one ever one woman on the show. I think the they'd go into complete meltdown if they were... For, they'd be like, I, 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 I will work, oh, my God. You know, yeah. they are terrified about putting two women on a show. Do, and what anything do they I have done, to happen? I have no idea. We'll run away <laughs> shopping, we just won't turn up. <laughs> <laughs> Just start crying. I don't know. I genuinely what don't know. What they say when they've said all of the five women's jokes? Yeah, and it's, it is an interesting. <laughs> what if one of the rounds isn't about periods or yeah, vaginas? Yeah. Do you imagine? And there's a, um, a friend told me this, who was also re- a regular on it, that since having to have a woman on um, the week every episode, it's been pointed out to them that it's pretty obvious that they also always have to sit in the same chair. Oh, no, you don't get the different chair. You can't sit in a different chair. You've got to have the woman's chair. No, 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 no. There's a lady's chair. A chair for her. You get the girl's seat. (laughs) You get the girl's seat, and they always give me a little booster cushion as well. I, I always turn up and go. It's a matter oh, of give me the bloody cushion again. And I'm usually I'm often, often with Josh Whittaker, and he's just, I'm an inch taller than him. Yeah. <laughs> Parsons and he doesn't small. get the booster seat. It's like a lady booster seat. It's wow. It's like oh yeah. So you're absolutely right. That show is quite a challenge to do, and it is quite difficult. And you know, but I've always sort of had that mentality of come on, Zoe, come on, get in there. And then when you do think about that, you think. God, you really are having to go that extra... You're doing that extra little 10 20% every time because you're not really in the gang, you know? Yeah. And if there's a particular group of comedians who are on together who are, you know, younger guys who know each other more... You, you know what it's like? Yeah. It's about... You get your best work when you're comfortable. Yeah. You know, when you're comfortable and you're confident, you can create the best stuff. And sometimes you're in those positions and it, it is slightly uncomfortable mm. because you are the odd one out on your booster seat. Well... <laughs> And I think that piece, which is the odd one out, is what's forgotten. So you're included. You're diverse. Mm. You're a woman. Mm. You're gay. Mm. You're invited on Mock the Week. You're diverse and you're included. But that is not the same as As being made to feel like you belong. Part of the gang. Yeah. 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 And I have to say, and and in the defense, you know, sometimes you do. You do feel like that. And there there are other occasions where you're like, yeah. And and that's the same, I'd say. gigs where there's a mixed bill yes. there are times well, you know where you go like, into yes. certain rooms and you're yeah. like oh you know i think you just become really, so used to being yeah. the only woman on a bill you yeah. become so because that's the way most comedy clubs work you know it is changing but you we always remark upon it when we turn up we go two two birds on a bill what's going on what's going on you know it's um it is so i run a gig in brighton and i very frequently have there'll be four women on the bill and yeah. <laughs> Such and it's so nice. Gig. It's so lovely. And the, 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 the green room uh, atmosphere is, is lovely. Do you yeah. ever have assumptions about what you're going to talk about? Because Jen, yes. Jen Brister, yeah. she said to me once, she found it a bit tiring that her audience would always expect her to talk about lesbians. Y- yes. And she found that to be exhausting at times because she said, I want to talk about other things, but my audience often are lesbians who've come out to talk about the lesbian experience. Yes. yes. Does that, do, do you that ever does, feel that limited? That does occur. But no, I never, no, because it would be me that would put in the limits on if they turn up and they feel they haven't had total lesbian value. Then... <laughs> If I have, uh, for example, for the rest of the expression, not ticks all the boxes. Um, <laughs> then they won't return. Uh, no, I never put pressure on myself to properly gay it up. I, I talk about whatever I want to talk about. Sometimes it's sometimes I talk about my private life and my wife and, and that sort of thing, but um, I don't feel a need to be all things to all gay women. Do you ever do gigs or are you ever performing situations where you think... I probably shouldn't 
talk about that here. There are I occasions have gigs where yeah. I think I won't do my breastfeeding bit here. Yeah, you know what it's like. You walk into a gig, you get very good at. It's very animalistic, isn't it? You yeah. walk into a gig and you you sniff it, <laughs> and you have a little look around. You go, yeah. <laughs> oh. I won't do the gay stuff tonight. I'll just leave it. And I do. I have backed out of doing material. You know. Well, because, because you're, you get it's because a survival well, it's a survival instinct, isn't it? And then you know, I've got better at being bolder. I think when you're first starting out as a comedian, your number one thing is please let them like me. Please let them like me. I want them to like me. Yeah. I want them to like me. So you give them as little as possible for them not to like you, because you're constantly learning and you're growing how to be um, confident on stage. Well, you know? totally. I think that's relevant for all jobs as well, and it ties into your challenge as well earlier, Deborah. But that thing about being assertive and leaning in and demanding and difficult and being likable, because mm. that also gets you on. Yes. In work. So it's drawing that line. It's just so much harder for women when, if you are like, no, I deserve this, um, I'm going to sit in the other chair. Then, yeah. do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. What would happen if you said, like... I want to sit in the different chair on the week? It, would, it wouldn't happen, Deborah. It wouldn't happen. They would go into total meltdown. If you, what, but see that, is you what? Sit in Dara's chair. Yeah. Oh, well, that's too far, madam. Too far. <laughs> Sit in Dara's chair. Um, can I ask you quickly about stereotypes of feminists? Mm -hmm. Because before we were talking and you said you're amazed that some people don't know what feminism is. People have very strong stereotypical yeah. views in their heads of what a feminist is, you know. Still, still, you know, you're, you're angry about something. Um, um, uh, you don't take care of your appearance. You know, all of, those, all of those stereotypes. But I heard the most incredible thing as part of the Donald Trump campaign. I know there's been a lot of incredible things said. <laughs> Every day, unimplausible. This is the problem with the comedians. It's harder and harder to say something funny about the man because he just keeps saying it himself so <laughs> but I, they were interviewing women in the states and asking them why they were voting for trump which is a big question uh you know and this was pre pussygate um which i think is now nice. called, known as and i was just astounded by what one of the women said to the reporter she said i'm voting for donald trump because he's not a feminist and i'm not a feminist and i think that will stand us in good stead when he's dealing with other countries that hate women <laughs> you couldn't could you? I literally spat my tea out across the room. I was like, it's how almost, could you dislike yourself I mean, it's as if so she much. thinks that feminist means sexist. I don't think she's thought it through. No. I can't... <laughs> Work out a way. She clearly thinks yeah. in her head that a feminist is an angry woman who, you know, who's, uh, who's, hates women, who hates, who hates men. Wants to bring. That's probably, I'd say, one of the most damaging stereotypes about feminists is that they hate, hate men. men. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I whereas. Really, we only hate men part of the time. <laughs> <laughs> there was a man I, I, I didn't feel fondly of on the internet today that I saw someone sharing a tweet that somebody had said... Uh, it was about the campaign to try and make tampons free for women. And uh, a man had said, if women can't control their bladders, the, the, state, the state shouldn't have to pay. I don't ask the state to buy me a nappy, so they shouldn't get a free tampon. Uh, they should make sure they're close to a loo. He yeah. has fundamentally misunderstood the use of a tampon. <laughs> he honestly thinks Fantastic. women are pissing themselves. <laughs> and we need special, weak-bladdered... Never mind a booster. Maybe that's what the booster stool is for. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they think you're going to... Imagine if you only... It's, oh, it's probably to, to catch... It's absorbent. It's probably just a free tampon. Yeah, that's what no they thought. No what, bladder what he thinks we're doing with all our leisure time if we only need to piss for approximately quarter of our month. Yeah. <laughs> Any questions? Yes, there's a person, a human person there in the second row. Hi, um, I work in quite a male-dominated industry and the part that you said about uh, feeling belonging, we try to attract women into the industry, but do you think it would be better if we just kind of said it's open to everyone and didn't kind of label them as women in the industry? That's so tricky. I, what, what do you do for a living? Can you say what you I do for a living? Construction. You work in construction. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So it is traditionally, historically, a very male-dominated. But I have met more and more young women doing engineering and uh, civil engineering, etc., and gigs and stuff. And uh, 
Because I get this with comedy. People saying, oh, there's so few women in comedy. But then we know there's loads. But also, Booking it doesn't gifts. suit a lot of women's lifestyle as well. There's a lifestyle element to it that you go, this is really not glamorous, is it? Just eating yeah. a gangster's pasty at three in the morning, <laughs> driving down the M5, weeping into your own foam cushion because you've wet yourself. <laughs> I think that's a lot of people's lives. Yeah, a lot of people people that hate ginsters and and questions. Because also, choose them carefully. There there are different models, (laughs) and I think that's just find your own model. If that doesn't suit you as a person, find your own model. With construction, I think you've got such a gender image issue that you absolutely need to reach out to women. Mm. Advertising directly and saying you are wanted and you will belong, will find a way to help you belong is very important. And if you just say people, they're going to assume men. Because you very rarely see a woman up scaffold, do you? I mean, really, you just, I can't yeah. remember the last time I saw a female builder up scaffold. So it's that visibility, and you know, it's mm. people want to want to go. Women who want to get into construction, they see other people doing it, and then it's sort of that domino effect of yeah. you know being visible, being out there doing it. And then it will get to a point where there are enough visible out there doing it that every time a woman in construction is interviewed and is asked. What's it like to be a woman yeah. in construction? Mm. You can go, oh, can you ask me something else? Mm. But until, but until that point, yeah, I'd agree. I think you've got to be reach out to yeah. them. I sometimes yeah. do comedy club for kids, but there are times when I'm like, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I can't do it, I can't do it. And Isabel, who books the gig, will say, oh, just I don't have any women on the bill, and I, I don't want little girls to come and watch and think oh, to be a comedian, you've got to be a boy. And then I go, all right, I'll do it. Because I can't not at that point, because I need yeah. to be the visibility. I need a little girl to come along and watch that show and go, oh, so I could be a comedian then. And so, absolutely, and if you're in a very male-dominated industry, mm. you need to advertise specifically to women to say you will be included and you will we'll find a way for you to belong and it won't be easy, because I imagine on building sites, women do get a certain amount of, I don't know, I've just walked past some, and that hasn't worked out well. <laughs> What do you do within construction? I'm fascinated. Uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm a manager. You're a manager, yeah. Yeah, because it's such a brilliant... It's a fascinating industry, you know, and it's... If you live in London, yeah. you know, it is all around you. Yeah, if you're everywhere. looking for job security, it is a fascinating industry, and, and it's Sounds scientific. Sounds like you want to apply for the job, I mean, Yeah, but it's interesting. <laughs> no, but it is. I'd not yeah. really thought about it until, like... I, I live in south-east London, and probably everyone that owns their first-floor flat is having it extended up. Mm. I'm having it and, done at the moment, and I've got no women on my building site, and I've just... Really realised that now. Yeah, I'm not sure I've ever seen one. I mean, I do try and use female um, DIY people down in Brighton where I live. I've got a lady plumber, lady carpenter, lady decorator. Can I just say, you sound like my mum when you yes, say they're lady. lady. Lady decorator. I've got a lady who comes you in and sees the radiators. She's just a decorator. She's a gender-neutral decorating But human. they advertise themselves as that because they have to. Yeah. Because they have to go, you well, know, female... And, and also because they know that people will go, oh, yes, OK. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so it's a selling point for them. They yeah. use it as a selling well, point. Well, sometimes it's an issue of safety. If a woman lives alone or mm. there's someone vulnerable, they think I'd rather have a woman coming into my house. My friend Hannah Gadsby, also a lesbian comedian... Yes. Uh, <laughs> Says, says, uh, she describes them, she's Australian, she says, oh, yeah, Lady Tradie. You've got a Lady Tradie oh, coming. Is that lovely? Lady Tradie. Yeah, you should love Lady Tradies. I love that. I love it. And I, well, I always want to say it in an Australian accent, too, because it's lovely, Lady Tradie. Um, <laughs> a huge round of applause for our wonderful guest, Zoe Lyons. <laughs> Zoe, where can we hear you, follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, if you like, that sort of thing. We would, we'd love to follow um, you on Twitter. I'm at Zoe Lyons, and any gigs I'm doing are all on my website, which is www.zoelyons.co.uk. Lovely. And Jessica, do you have any gigs you would like us to come to or things you'd like us to follow? I'd like you to follow my Twitter, at Jessica Foster Q, F-O-S-T-E-K-W. Lovely. Um, I am Deborah Francis White, and I would very much like you to follow me at Deborah FW. Please give it up one more time for Zoe Lyons. Please follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter at GuiltFemPod. Check out our Instagram, instagram.com forward slash The Guilty Feminist. Join our Facebook group, sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please go to our iTunes and rate and review and give us the maximum amount of stars. That's five. Or (laughs) as many stars. 
as you think it deserves. Or five whole stars. <laughs> and subscribe, and that helps other people find the podcast. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest host, Jessica Foster-Q, and our special guest, Zoe Lyons. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinsky for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe Meta and everyone at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. We are sold out tonight, uh, as, but we've got some empty seats, so there might be some people that sort of creep in and come in. So I'm just, I'm just letting you know that because we've got more empty seats than we should have. But it might just be that it's raining and people have gone, yeah. I'm not that good a feminist. <laughs> <laughs> I can only assume. Yeah. Hello, Guilty Feminists. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for all your support over the last year. Now, many of you have expressed a desire to get involved, to make some of these challenges real and alive, especially along the lines of career development, not apologising, stepping into the space. So we have some workshops. Now, these are just the start. We're just testing the waters here in London, and then hopefully we'll be able to bring them around the country and even wider internationally. The first two will be on the 22nd and 23rd of April. Jessica Regan, who's an actor who was in the Gender Blind Henry V, and I are going to do a workshop on big speeches, uh, male speeches from Shakespeare, speeches from history, taking the space and owning it. You can book for those workshops on guiltyfeminist.com. The price will be £50 for a day workshop but there will be £10 places for those who cannot afford the £50. And please chip in a little bit more for another feminist to join the workshop if you can afford more. We want these to be accessible to everyone and intersectional. Um, we also have more of a corporate leadership day. Many of you know that I go into the corporate world and work with women on taking up the space. So there's going to be a very big leadership event uh, with me speaking and other brilliant people that you can work with. Uh, a special Guilty Feminist episode on negotiations uh, with Suzanne Williams, who is uh, well known for negotiating with people who have hostages for the government uh, and for other organisations. And that is going to be an incredible special leadership day. Hopefully you can get your company to sponsor you to come on that if you are in the corporate world. That day will be £195, but again, there'll be £10 places. Please chip in more if you can or pay if you can. If you can't, please write in and you can go on our list for a £10 place. Details of all these things are on guiltyfeminist.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.